This is section 1.5 of AMSCO Developments in Africa. Political Structures in Inland Africa The development of Sub-Saharan Africa was heavily shaped by the migrations of Bantu-speaking people outward from West Central Africa. By the year 1000, most of the region had adopted agriculture. With the sedentary nature of agriculture, people needed more complex political relationships to govern themselves. In contrast to most Asian or European societies, those in Sub-Saharan Africa did not centralize power under one leader or central government. Instead, communities formed kin-based networks, where families governed themselves. A male head of the network, a chief, mediated conflicts and dealt with neighboring groups. Groups of villages became districts, and a group of chiefs decided among themselves how to solve the district's problems. As populations grew, kin-based networks became more difficult to govern. Competition among neighbors increased, which in turn increased fighting among among villages and districts. Survival for the small kin-based communities became more challenging. Though many such communities continued to exist in Sub-Saharan Africa until the 19th century, larger kingdoms grew in prominence, particularly after 1000. The Hausa Kingdoms Sometime before 1000, in what is now Nigeria, people of the Hausa ethnic group formed seven states, the Hausa kingdoms. The states were loosely connected through kinship ties, though they too had no central authority. People established prospering city-states, each with a specialty. For example, several were situated in plains where cotton grew well. Though the region lacked access to the sea, contact from people uh, contact with people from outside the region was important. Many Hausa benefited from the thriving Trans-Saharan trade, a network of trading routes across the Great Desert. A state on the western edge of the region specialized in military matters and defended the states against attack. Because the states lacked a central authority, however, they were frequently subject to dom- domination from outside. In the 14th century, missionaries introduced Islam to the region. Political structures of West and East Africa. Kingdoms on both the Western and Eastern sides of Africa benefited from increased trade. The exchange of goods brought them wealth, political power, and cultural diversity. The spread of Islam added to the religious diversity of the continent, where animism and Christianity were already practiced. Four of these kingdoms were Ghana, Mali, Zimbabwe, and Ethiopia. Ghana. Nestled between the Sahara and the tropical rainforests of the West African coast, the Kingdom of Ghana was not in the same location as the modern nation of Ghana. Historians believe that the kingdom had been founded during the 5th century, at least two centuries before the time of Muhammad, but Ghana reached its peak of influence from the 8th to 11th centuries. Ghana's rulers sold gold and ivory to Muslim traders in exchange for salt, copper, cloth, and tools. From Ghana's capital city, Moyumbisale, The king ruled a centralized government aided by nobles and an army equipped with iron weapons. Mali. By the 12th century, wars with neighboring societies had permanently weakened the Ghanaian state. In its place arose several new training societies, the most powerful of which was Mali. Most scholars believe that Mali's founding ruler, Sundiata, was a Muslim and used his connections with others of his faith to establish trade relationships with the North African and Arab merchants. Sundiata cultivated a thriving gold trade in Mali. Under his steady leadership, Mali's wealth grew tremendously. His nephew, Mansa Musa, made a pilgrimage to Mecca, where his lavish displays of gold left a lasting impression. Zimbabwe 
In East Africa, the architecture demonstrated the growing wealth of one kingdom. Though most houses had traditionally been constructed from wood, by the 9th century, chiefs had begun to construct uh, uh, their Zimbabwe's, the Bantu word for dwellings in stone. This word became the name of one of the most powerful East African kingdoms between the 12th and 15th centuries, Zimbabwe. It was situated between the Zambeze and Limpopo rivers in modern-day Zimbabwe and Mozambique. Zimbabwe built its prosperity on a mixture of agricultural grazing, trade, and above all, gold. Like Ghana and Mali on the other side of the continent, Zimbabwe had rich gold fields and taxes on the transport of gold um, that made the kingdom very wealthy. While Ghana and Mali relied on land-based trade across the Sahara, Zimbabwe traded with the coastal city-states such as Mombasa, Kilwa, and Mogadishu. Through these ports, Zimbabwe was tied into the Indian Ocean trade, which connected East Africa, the Middle East, South Asia, and East Asia. In East Africa, traders blended Bantu and Arabic to develop a new language, Swahili. Today, Swahili is spoken by various groups in the African Great Lakes region as well as other parts of Southeast Africa. The rise and decline of Zimbabwe was reflected in the defensive walls used to protect the cities. By the end of the 13th century, a massive wall of stone, 30 feet tall by 15 feet thick, surrounded the capital city, which became known as the Great Zimbabwe. The stone wall was the first large one on the continent that people built without mortar. Inside the wall, most of the royal city's buildings were made of stone. In the late 15th century, nearly 20,000 people resided within the Great Zimbabwe. However, overgrazing so um, damaged the surrounding environment that the residents of the bustling capital city abandoned it by the end of the 1400s. The wall still stands in the modern country of Zimbabwe. Ethiopia. Christianity had spread from its origins around the east coast of the Mediterranean Sea, south into Egypt and beyond. In what is today Ethiopia, the kingdom of Aksum developed. Its prosperity by it prospered by trading goods obtained from India, Arabia, and the, the Roman Empire and the interior of Africa. Beginning in the 7th century, the spread of Islam made the region more diverse religiously. In the 12th century, a new Christian-led kingdom in Ethiopia emerged. Uh, its rulers, like those of other countries, expressed their own power through architecture. They ordered the creation of 11 massive churches in, made entirely of rock. Carved rock structures had been a feature of Ethiopian religious architecture since the second millennium BCE. From the 12th through the 16th centuries, Ethiopia was an island of Christianity on the continent of Africa, separated from both the Roman Catholic Church of Western Europe and Orthodox Church of Eastern Europe. Ethiopian Christianity developed independently. People combined their traditional faith traditions such as ancestor veneration and beliefs in spirits with Christianity to create a, a distinct form of faith. Social structures of Sub-Saharan Africa. In Sub-Saharan Africa, strong central governments ruling over large territories were uncommon. Instead, Sub-Saharan Africa's small communities were organized around several structures, kinship, age, and gender. Kinship connections allowed people to identify first as members of a clan or a family. Age was another significant social marker. An 18-year-old could do more hard work uh, and labor than a 60-year-old, but younger people often relied on advice on their, uh, of their elders. Thus, the communities divided work 
according to age, creating gender grades or age sets. Finally, gender had an influential role in society, social organization. Men dominated most activities that required a specialized skill. For example, leather tanners and blacksmiths were per, uh, typically men. Women generally engaged in agriculture and food gathering. They also took primary responsibilities for carrying out domestic chores and raising their family's children. Slavery in Sub-Saharan Africa and Southwest Asia. Slavery had a long history in Africa. Prisoners of war, debtors, and criminals were often enslaved. Most men and some women did agricultural work. Most women and some men served in households. In many kin-based societies, people could not own land privately, but they could own other people. Owning a large number of enslaved people increased one's social status, and slavery existed in many forms. A strong demand in the Middle East for enslaved workers resulted in an Indian Ocean slave trade between East Africa and the Middle East. This trade started several centuries before the Atlantic Ocean slave trade between West Africa and the Americas. In some places, it lasted until the 20th century. The enslaved African, East Africans, however, uh, known in Arabic as Zanj, provided valuable labor in sugar plantations in Mesopotamia. However, between 869 and 883, they and many Arab workers met at a series of revolts known as the Zanj Rebellion. About 15,000 enslaved people successfully captured the city of Basra and held it for 10 years before being defeated. The large size and long length of time before it was defeated maids makes the Zanj Rebellion one of the most successful slave revolts in history. Cultural life in Sub-Saharan Africa. Playing music, creating visual arts, and telling stories were con and continue to be important aspects of cultures everywhere because they provided enjoyment and mark rituals such as weddings and funerals. In Africa, these activities carried additional significance. Because traditional African religions included ancestor veneration, song lyrics provided a means of communicating with the spirit world. African music usually had a distinctive rhythm pattern, and vocals were interspersed with percussion elements such as hand claps, bells, pots, and gourds. Visual arts also commonly served as a, a religious purpose. For example, metal workers created busts of past rulers so that ruling royalty could look to them for guidance. Artists in Benin, West Africa, were famous for their intricate sculptures in iron and bronze. In the late 19th century, the sophistication of these pieces of art would cause some Europeans to increase their respect for West African cultures. Griots and Griotas Literature as it existed in Sub-Saharan Africa was oral. Griots, or storytellers, were the conduits of history for a community. Griots possessed encyclopedic knowledge of family lineages and the lives and deeds of great leaders. In general, griots were also adept at music, singing their stories and accompanying themselves on instruments, such as the drums and a 12-string uh, harp called the kora. The griots uh, were both venerated and feared as they, both, as they held the, both the power of the language and of story. People said that a griot could sing your success or sing your downfall. By telling and retelling their stories and histories, the Griots preserved a people's history and passed that history on from generation to generation. Kings often sought their, uh, their counsel regarding political matters. When a Griot died, it was as though a library had burned. 
Just as men served as griots, women served as griotas. They would sing at special occasions, such as before a wedding. For example, the griota would counsel a bride to not talk back if her mother-in-law abused her or reassure the bride that if things got too bad, she could return home. Griots provided women with a sense of empowerment in a patriarchal, patriarchal society. And that concludes uh, section 1.5 of AMSCO. Thank you.